We have begun a series together called The Other 167. And the idea behind that is actually pretty simple. There are 168 hours in a week. And we spend approximately one of those here together. So where is the church? What are we doing for the other 167 hours during the week? And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks together. This morning, I want us to talk together for a little while about worship beyond the stained glass. We get together on Sundays at 10:15 a.m., and we, uh, we come in here to worship, and then when the worship hour is over, we go somewhere. We go eat, we go home, we get back to uh, kind of what we might consider normal life, and the question is, do we only worship God that one hour? Can we continue that worship beyond the stained glass? When it's time to leave this environment, can we continue to worship Him? The reason we worship God is because He is worthy of our worship, and surely since He is God, He is worthy of more than one hour a week. He's always God and always worthy, therefore we can always worship. To help us with that, look if you will in Romans chapter 12. We're going to begin at the first couple of verses there in Romans chapter 12 as we consider the fact that worship is not just something that happens on Sunday morning. Worship happens when a humble person expresses awe in a holy God. Worship is what happens when a humble person expresses awe in a holy God. And that can happen anytime, any place. Worship can and should be a way of life. Look with me then in Romans chapter 12 at verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And don't remember, we talk about it often. Don't get hung up on the word brothers. It... it, it really could be translated siblings. The, uh, the Greek has to have a masculine or a feminine ending to the word, and so this word is always appears masculine, but they understood it to be brothers and sisters, siblings. He's reminding us that we who are in the family of God are indeed family. We've been adopted by the same Father, therefore we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says to us, I'm begging you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we look at that text this morning, we recognize first and foremost right off the bat that we worship through sacrificial living. We worship through sacrificial living. You say, well, I worship by singing the song and reading the words that they put on the screen. And that's wonderful. That is one part of worship. 
But let me tell you, if you're only reading the words and only singing a song, then it's not actually worshiping God. You're just kind of participating in the group experience. However, if you are singing while we're singing, if you are, while you're singing, if you are doing so as a sacrifice of praise, ah, now you've begun to worship. There's a difference between singing and praising. I can sing driving down the highway, driving down I-35 over here, nearer my God to thee, you know. <laughs> Woo! That's just singing. But when my song becomes a sacrifice, when I'm putting myself out there to communicate and commune with an almighty God, when I am coming as a humble person standing in awe of a holy God, then my song has become sacrifice. My praise is real and I'm worshiping. But I can carry that very same sacrificial concept past the song, beyond the stained glass, if I can live in that same kind of sacrificial state, then my life itself can be an act of worship. You see in verse 1, he says, that, I, I, I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means that I, I am sacrificing my life to him. I'm giving my life to him. As, as you live every day, you do so for him. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were, uh, were animals that were the best of the, of the, the herd, the, the best that one had that they would bring to the temple. The, the, the animal then was slaughtered, and we won't go into all the gory details, but it was very gory. Uh, but they would slaughter the animal, and the animal would be, uh, the, the animal is killed, the blood is put on the altar as a way of saying, uh, this, this is my atonement for my sin. Remember, Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. In other words, they would sacrifice, they'd give up something that was that was very valuable to them. They would give up something that meant, that meant something to their lives as a way of demonstrating their repentance and their commitment to God. And that animal, of course, would have to die in order to shed that blood. But Hebrews says that Jesus took care of all of that. Hebrews tells us in more than one place, in more than one way, that Jesus came and died once for all. That his death ended all that sacrificial system because when he died as the perfect lamb of God, his blood covered all sin. And that's why we don't continue to, to kill animals so that Blood can be shed to cover our sin. Jesus' blood already covers our sin. And so we don't sacrifice to death. Instead, Paul calls us to sacrifice our lives. Don't bring a critter. Bring self. Bring you. A living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice anymore. Remember what Jesus said to those who were beginning to, to, 
to ask questions of him. The group was beginning to form. They were listening. They were checking it. Is this guy for real? And they started asking questions about what would it be to follow you? You're, you're kind of like a rabbi. If we follow you, what does that look like? And how would that, how would that affect our lives? And he said to all in Luke 9, 23, I love that short word, all, by the way. He says to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. A living sacrifice is, that, is one who has said, you know, I want to follow Christ so much that I'm willing to deny self. I put self on the altar, not worried about bringing a, a, a lamb or a cow or some other critter. I'm going to take self. I'm going to take everything that I like. I'm going to take my desires, my dreams, my hopes. I'm going to take my abilities, my gifts, my talents. I'm going to take everything I have, everything I own, everything I ever will be, and I'm going to put it all on the altar as a sacrifice. It doesn't mean I'm giving up my life. It means I'm fulfilling my life. I'm giving, I'm living sacrificially. I no longer live for John, I live for Jesus. That would be our state if we had learned to live sacrificially. We would say, I'm not living for self. Self has been sacrificed. Instead, I'm living for Jesus. And so he says, not only if you come after me, deny yourself, he says, actually, take up your cross. What was the cross? The cross was the place of death. The cross was the place of sacrifice. Jesus did not die just to die. Jesus died as a sacrifice. And he says, if you want to follow me, you want to take the name Christian, which means little Christ, Messiah, follower. You want to take my name and follow me? Then you live a life in which you sacrifice self. Just like I sacrificed on the cross, you sacrifice self, deny self, and take up your cross. And then follow me. The problem with living sacrifices is that sometimes they crawl off the altar. Right? The problem is he didn't call us to live one hour a week. He called us to sacrificially live 168 hours every week, 24 hours every day, 365 days a year, and I know there's a leap year, don't get technical. We worship through sacrificial living. The problem is it's so easy for us because we're still alive as sacrifices. It's too easy for us to crawl off the altar. There are too many of us that compartmentalize our lives. We got church on Sunday. Like we said a minute ago, we call it Sunday school, don't we? We do that stuff on Sunday. It's not Monday school. We compartmentalize our lives. We do church on Sunday and then Monday is my day and Tuesday is, is family day and Wednesday is community day and Thursday is whatever and then all of a sudden we're doing our thing until Sunday comes back and then we come back 
to church. We're not intended to compartmentalize our lives every day, every hour, every moment. I am His if I am living sacrificially. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And when he says members, he's not talking about members of the church. He's talking about me. He's talking about members of my body. He says, present your hands and your feet and your eyes and your ears and your fingers. Present members of your body as instruments for righteousness. At the beginning, he says, don't, don't present your members to sin. For unrighteousness, present yourself to God for righteousness. You sacrifice self. You give life to him. You hold nothing back. You love him with every fiber of your being. All that you have and all that you are has been given to him completely. 1 Corinthians follows up on that. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You sacrifice self. You live for him. You are a living sacrifice. There was a uh, J. Vernon McGee, a name that you're most likely familiar with, liked to tell the story about an old preacher in Scotland. And he was getting on up in age. The elders of the church came to him and said, you know, I I think it's time for you to to close shop because we've gone a whole year and haven't seen one convert. And the preacher says, I know it's been a year and we haven't seen much, but don't forget about little Bobby. They said, what are you talking about? He said, remember, little Bobby, of course he called him wee Bobby, but that's okay. Little Bobby, he gave his life to Jesus this year. Little Bobby had trusted in Christ, even though he was very young. And not long after he gave his life to Jesus, the church there had a missions event, kind of like a revival that would stir up interest in missions. And it was in that meeting that they passed the plate to take up an offering for missions. And little Bobby asked the usher, would you put the plate on the floor? The usher kind of looked at him odd and He went ahead and put the plate on the floor. Little Bobby got up from his seat in the pew and he walked over and he stepped inside the plate and stood in the plate and he said, I have nothing to give, so I'll give myself. Little Bobby grew up to be Robert Moffat, who was one of the great missionaries in Africa, served 52 years telling people there about Jesus. He had learned that he could give his life. Little Bobby gave us a great example. Worship is not an activity that lasts for an hour. It's a way of life. Real worship happens beyond these walls all day, every day, when we learn to live sacrificially, to give ourselves. A person might say, I'm going to church to worship God. We do that. But a person could also very well, very, just as accurately, we could say, I'm going to the office to worship God. 
I'm going to the school to worship God. I'm going to the field to worship God. I'm going to the bakery to worship God. When we learn what it is to live in a sacrificial way, then our life is an act of worship. You see, worship is not as much about how I sing as it is about how I live. Worship is primarily what happens beyond the stained glass in how I live. A.W. Tozer wrote, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him one day a week. If you won't live sacrificially worshiping him the other six days, then you really haven't sacrificially worshiped him on the one day. So in order to worship beyond the stained glass, to worship the other 167, we worship through sacrificial living. But we also worship through separated living. We worship through separated living. You see in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Those two words are very important. One says, don't be conformed. When you conform something, there is pressure on the outside. This is a lump of clay. In order to turn that lump of clay into what I want it to be, I'm going to put pressure on it from the outside. I'm going to conform it to the image that I'm trying to make. To be transformed is not pressure from the outside shaping me. It is a force, it is an energy from the inside that changes me from the inside out. Transformed in the Greek is a word that we use to make our word metamorphosis. When the caterpillar changes, transforms into the butterfly. He has not been conformed by the world around him. He's been transformed by a power within and Paul says to believers, don't be conformed by this world. Don't let the world tell you what to think, what to feel, how to act. Don't let the world make you in their image. And folks, that's hard for us to do. It is very hard for us to avoid being conformed by the world around us. And so he says, instead, be transformed, be changed from within. Well, that sounds wonderful. I want to be changed from within. I want, I want to be made different because of who I am on the inside in Jesus instead of who the world wants me to be. That's what I want. How do I do that? He says, don't, don't be conformed by the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You have to learn to think differently. You stop thinking like the world around you. You stop taking advice from the worldly people who advise you. You stop thinking in the list of priorities that the world has. You change your thinking and you start thinking under the direction of the word. You start thinking like Christ. Philippians 2 tells us to have the mind of Christ, to start thinking like he does. How would we do that? It's all right here. We put this in, we put this in enough, we're going to start thinking like this. 
And it is in the renewal of your mind that you begin to be transformed from within and you let the Holy Spirit work in your life to change you into the likeness of Christ. In John 17, Jesus prays a powerful prayer. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He has completed his teaching. John chapter 14 through 16, he's teaching them. And in John chapter 17, he prays the high priestly prayer for them. In that powerful prayer for his disciples, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. He's praying, remember, he's asking God now. Sanctify the disciples in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So understand, beloved, when we say that we live a separated life, we are not saying that we're supposed to be separate from the world physically. We're not saying to avoid anyone who's not a Christian. You only buy, you only buy a car from a Christian car dealer. You only drink milk from a Christian cow. You know, we're not saying that you have to be separated in a physical way. Because he says, God, you sent me into the world and I'm sending them into the world. Remember, we're salt and light in the world. We gotta be in the world. But while we're in the world, we are not of the world. We are separate in our thinking. Because we are living sacrificially and we are living separated from the way of the world. That's what happens when we begin to worship beyond the stained glass. And then third, we worship through sanctified thinking. We worship through sacrificial living, we worship through separated living, and we worship through sanctified thinking. Jesus just prayed, God sanctify them. Help them to find the truth, help them to understand, to renew their minds. You see, life is all about choices. And you have the freedom of choice, but be ready to live with the consequences of the choices you make. Renewing your mind means thinking differently so you can make those different choices. A renewed mind thinks about new things. If we continue in our text in, in Romans 12, we've looked at one, verses 1 and 2. If you look at verse 3, it says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We worship through sanctified thinking and we stop thinking too much about self. If I'm not thinking too much about me, my mind is open to allow me to think more about him. If all of my thinking is right here, then I don't have time, I don't have place, I don't have energy to think about him and my worship has stopped. I can learn to worship beyond the stained glass when I begin to think differently and when I begin to think about how to serve him and glorify him instead of how to fulfill my own selfish desires. I sacrifice that stuff for him, and then I live differently than the world around me. I'm transformed from within instead of conformed without, and then I start thinking differently. I think about him instead of me 
because me is already on the altar.